Broadcasting from Ireland, featuring interviews with some of the biggest names in magic. Welcome to the Deceit Reality Podcast with your hosts, David Peace and Steve Spade. And we are live. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Deceit Reality Podcast. Somehow, and we are live is becoming like a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel real unless I say it. And we're so happy to be here, joined by Kieran Johnson. Kieran, how are you doing today? I'm good. I was really thinking this is way more professional than my other podcast I've been into with the intro and the sound. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I've never been live on a podcast. Fiverr. <laughs> so I'm a bit panicked because normally they edit me out in case it, so I, I can go so I don't say anything stupid. But now I'm terrified I'm going to say something <laughs> and it's on the internet forever. <laughs> and that's as exciting as it can All we say is Sorry? There's nowhere to hide, Kieran. You're here. There's nowhere I, to hide. I, I know. Is it just my mom tuned in to see me? It's like, that's my son. He's a <laughs> Get a job. I can't, mom. It's locked down. <laughs> Not an excuse. Speaking Sorry. of getting a, to get a job, I was looking at your website earlier and we saw, oh, I was looking at your quote and you had your dad, t- dad in with all the other quotes saying, get a real job. I think that's brilliant. Where did the idea for that come up? I just because that's kind of what my dad used to say to me so I just thought it'd be really <laughs> hilarious I in my stage show I put loads of stories about my dad and when it came and saw my show once he's like why do you tell people that stuff <laughs> like because I, I talk about my dad like having this drama and I do I because I, I actually um in my actual stage shows and my close-up I, I talk about my family a lot in my shows but w- when I publish my work I don't always I don't do those routines because obviously it wouldn't make sense for me to <laughs> To, do, to, do, to talk about my mom and my dad because I, I, I think one of the problems I have when I publish my work is one of the, the main complaints they go oh, I don't like his patter but I'm like well yeah because it's kind of patter I wrote for myself so it's, it's so difficult with, with magic but yeah I just kind of thought it was a funny thing because I guess my dad used to say that to me so I just thought it'd be funny to stick it on the internet it's a terrible website I need my friend did it for me and he did a great job but it doesn't really reflect who I am for the last few years but i'm just too lazy to change it <laughs> plus, I plus i can't get hold of him and i don't know the password to do it anyway <laughs> is your dad does your dad still say that you good um my dad's actually really supportive actually and to be honest he's, he's only joking when he says catch up he doesn't yeah actually, I know, I know. it got a little bit dark there didn't it like yeah is that no my dad <laughs> just, just doesn't mind me up my dad's really cool um so yeah, he's he, no, he's he's super supportive. I took him to uh, Korea, where, uh, not Korea. Sorry, I took him to Taiwan to come and see my show, and I think he just like made friends with all the performers. He was like more a performer than I was. There's me like trying to like sit there. My dad's like best friends for everyone. He's like, oh, I'm gonna go see this guy in Las Vegas. Went, Dad, you're never gonna see that guy again. So we're on the road now. <laughs> this is how it works. We see them. We have a good time for the weekend, and then we never see them again unless we're performing in another country with them. He gets a hard day's environment. Oh, it won't happen, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you have to take me to America with you. I'm like, first in uh, his bubble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he just. I think he just really liked it because he's never really been in that like show world before because. Is a civil servant, so it's like a, it is a different world. So I think he just like, it, and he'd never been to Asia before, and everyone kept asking him for photos, and he would walk around to like <laughs> just exploring on his own. I don't know why are we talking about my dad on the podcast? There we go. Why not? We need background. 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 But he wasn't available. 
you know, that wasn't there for me to go with you, so you know, we we said we tried to clip it in to see if we can get it at the right question. Uh, but seeing see as you're here, we'll ask the typical magic question of how did you get started in magic? Oh, um, oh, I haven't actually started. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. I always felt like someone's gonna go, I got a poor Daniel set when I was a kid, and I got the bug. Um, basically, how I got into magic was purely by accident. Um, my, so I was in the Navy for five years, believe it or not. And uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. So I came back to Southport where m- my family lived. And um, my friend David uh, was really into juggling and magic. And his mom saw the smallest sign about a magic shop. So we basically took this train uh, journey to this place. And th- we went into the smallest shop you could ever imagine. It only fitted like three people in there. And we kind of squeezed in there. And, um, yeah, they, they basically showed him loads of magic and they showed me magic and I had no interest. So I kind of stood outside while it was being, he was getting sold to. And I met this like little old man called Terry Passy. He goes, do you like magic? And I'm like, uh, not really. And he takes a nail and he starts shoving up his nose. And I'm like, that's amazing. I want to do that. And I was like, oh, I'm interested in magic now. So I went back in and then they showed me a really cool trick. They, they didn't have the trick and they didn't do it. They showed me Oz Pullman doing cartoon. And mm. I liked it so much that I paid for that trick and went back the next week. And then before I knew it, I was a magician. So uh, my, I actually didn't like magic very much. Uh, I seen a few magicians when I was in the Navy. And I just, I, I, it's not that they were terrible. I just never saw anything that resonated for me. But that, that little old man with the nail and that cartoon trick made me think that magic could be exciting. I think before I just seemed kind of cut a rope, fix it or a, an illusionist act. I never really yeah. seen anything like that. I didn't even know magic could be like that. Does, does that make yeah. sense? I, yeah. I guess when you think about it, um, even though close-up magic has been around a long time, that new style of close-up magic um, back then, like, you know, it was changing, you know, Dan Harlan, like I was probably paying with magic illusionist, were just about to come out a few weeks after, just as I got into magic. So you've got suddenly, what love them or hate them, you've got this new excitement take on magic. Like, it's still magic, but they were, like, pushing this new magic, even though it's basically, like, new Coke, but it's just the same as Coke. <laughs> but if you if you don't know anything about magic, and suddenly you go in there and you think magic, oh, there's all, all old people doing rabbits out of hat, and then you suddenly see this black thing and tiger decks and UV and then man in the nail, and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is, this is... and then Blaine's around. So suddenly it's getting exciting. Does that make sense? And then Darren came on the scene about that time as well. So suddenly magic seemed different. Maybe it was always the same, but it seemed different for me anyway. Yeah, definitely. No, it comes in and out of, like, pop culture <clears throat> in that way, doesn't it? You know, there's always, every now and again, there's something that spikes it again and gets people's interest going. I, I really loved animation. I loved, I I collected comics before I did magic, and obviously I had to give that up because you know we afford one expensive <laughs> hobby because magic is expensive. Um, right. And I literally, I spent all my savings on on trying to learn as much as I could. And um, I don't even know what I was going on about, but yeah, it, it was just like um, it, it was like what I really loved about magic is the reactions. I loved. I loved how it made me feel. I know that sounds awful, isn't it? Maybe a selfish thing, but I love the feeling I got from performing. You know, everyone always says, oh, I love the reactions, but I love the feeling I got from the reactions when I performed. You know, yeah. you know, I never yeah. like had that experience when people scream and shout. That When you've never had that before and suddenly you have it, that is a drug, really, in the sense that suddenly I'm having 
you know, everyone always goes, oh, you know, it's about their reactions. But the truth is, we it, we love that as well. We love that feeling of what the sense no of wonder. <laughs> and and I think for me, I thought I understood what wonder was, and then I would come to realize that actually I didn't. A wonder isn't really a bunch of people running off and screaming. Um, it wouldn't be for another four or five years that I would truly experience a true moment of wonder with magic. So, but it's, it's interesting when you're a younger magician, you think I'll oh, just get any reactions. That's wonder. But I was in, um, uh, so magic randomly took me to, to Bristol and then went up Bristol took me to meet my, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Uh, I took her a month away and we went to Sri Lanka because uh, she was there when the tsunami hit. So for her, that place holds heart. So she was doing charity work and stuff. We went to an orphanage and um, I didn't really have anything on me because I, I weren't really allowed to do card tricks. And so I just had a few bits on me, um, some fruit and things. And I, I was still trying to figure out who I was as a magician. And I, I remember there's this little girl. I just took a rock and I made it vanish from her. And then I changed it to an onion. And I just remember her holding her chest and breathing and just seeing that's that's when I realized that was the moment I saw the wonder of what magic could do, a real moment of astonishment that Paul Harris talks about. And I think as I get older, I realized that those moments of true moments are very rare. Yeah, so this got very deep, didn't it? <laughs> I, 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 I think silence. Silence, I think, is the thing we don't think we want but it's actually the reaction we want when it goes right people shouldn't be like oh my god they should just stop and like you, you smoke coming out of the ears is like just like that's what you want yeah i mean we talk about it with i talk about it with my few of my friends about like like a, a close friend of mine we're talking about how he doesn't really like to be around when people react and he just likes to walk away because he thinks it's a mystery but i feel like that if you walk away um, you, you don't have to walk away. You can just let them have their moment and be in that moment with them. You don't have to walk away from that moment. But he goes, oh, I suppose I went, not really, because you, you, you've had an experience together. I always remember um, something, that I, a lesson I learned very early on when I was in Bristol. This girl came up to me and goes, oh, my goodness, you're amazing. I, I, I have a, a, a your coin. I have a photo of you. Do you remember me? And I, and I turned around and said, no, I, I, I don't remember you. Um, and I, I was quite like, no, I wasn't tactful. It was just a no, no, I don't. And then she was like, and, and she took the coin and threw it and ripped the card up and ran off crying. <laughs> Cause it obviously meant more than we realize uh, because yeah. to us, we do those, it sounds mundane. We do that a lot. So we don't really think about it, but to her, she's never experienced that before that. So suddenly if we, it, it become it's a weird one when you think about that. Not that I pretend that. Oh yeah, of course I did. I go, oh um, I I I guess I go, yeah. That so I so now I'll go with the moment. So like I go, oh yeah, I bent the coin in your hand, or that's where I put the ice with the card that went into the ice. And, yeah, you do remember. I just know the routine because it's my routine. So I'm, yeah. not, I'm not saying I remember them, but I go, yeah, that was crazy with the ice, wasn't it? She goes, yeah. You know, so suddenly I'm able to refer to the trick as the memory rather than them, but. They don't register. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah no, totally. because you can meet you can meet a hundred people or two hundred people in a weekend, and they'll all remember you, but you, you won't always remember. And it happened to me like that as well. A guy in a nightclub came across. I had been a resident there, and I hadn't worked there in years. And he came across out of nowhere across the dance floor, and he was like rooting through his wallet. And I was like, "What's he doing?" And he reached into his wallet, and I get a folded up card. I done a card to mouth, 
about eight years ago and he still had it in his wallet. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, well, it, it means a lot to people. I mean, you know, it does. And, um, it, and I think as magicians, we don't often think about the impact we have in, in on people like that. Not that we have massive impact. My, my brother, he has a proper job. He's in uh, saving lives. <laughs> but, you know, um, we keep people happy. Maybe we give them a moment, maybe, or, or maybe, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I think doing. as well, when people react, especially when they have a real moment, I think, because it can be a bit socially awkward to just stand there. And I think there's a bad habit a lot of people have of undercutting that with a joke which just kills their reaction for the people. And yeah. it, that can be difficult. And I think that's why sometimes people walk away so that they don't just ruin the reaction themselves by getting yeah. comfortable. Uh, I, you know, I, I get that. I, I guess the thing is, is I, I always just, I, you know, I just try and, I guess every situation's different. I, I'm not the type of person that walks away anyway. So it's, it's just not, yeah. it's not. But I get it if you, if, if you feel that that suits who you are. Uh, to be honest, I find people just want to ask me weird questions. It's like, um, like you know, they just ask me millions of questions, and they, they ask me the same questions everyone asks me. But I never treat it as uh, I always treat it as a new experience rather than it's a tired experience. Because yeah. you don't want people feeling because they go. Some people go, "Oh, I bet you got asked a lot." I go, yeah, I'm ha-, and I never say, "Yeah, I do." I go, "No, cool, I'm happy to answer anything." What do you, what do you want to know? You know, so mm-hmm. because I feel like, you know, just because you've been through it before, they haven't. And also, you don't, you technically haven't been through it before because you've never met those people before. So you may have had those questions before, but you don't know where that's going to take you or where that where that's going to lead. You know? yeah. Maybe I'm yeah, telling you. Harris, <laughs> yeah, it's the beard, man. It's the beard. Um, it, it's the like what Paul Harris talks about as well with that you know the the astonishing that moment. I mean, even though you've done it numerous times for different people, for them it's the first time seeing you. So they have to they have to be on that journey with you, and you have to be with them as well. Yeah, and exactly, you know, and, and Tommy Wanda covers that as well, and yes. you know, lo- lots of great magicians underst- understood that. You know, I think Max Malini understood that better than most because he was able. Not only did he do the gigs, but he then became their friends, and beca- he yeah. lived in their social life as well. So, um, <clears throat> but I, I definitely feel like you know sometimes we we have to, you know, not panic, you know, because we are human as well. <laughs> You know, you're, you're human first before you're a magician, you know. Um, yeah. But I think a situation people struggle with as well is that, like, when you get a... It's something I find, my, even in myself, when people react really big, especially when you've done your finale or you're, like, a big closer and they react really well. And especially if you've had a couple of bad groups and you get this really one group, you do all your routines and you just go, I'll do one more. And because you've already done your closer, it's never going to hit more, but it's like we're addicted to reactions. So once you get one, you just want more. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But one of the things I've learned is just because someone doesn't react doesn't mean they didn't find it extraordinary. Like, I remember one time I was in a, a really posh gig. I performed to this group barely any reactions like golf claps but you know i got an email afterwards saying how much he meant to him like he'd been sick and he was just I met, he, that everyone really enjoyed it and it meant just right now i'm like uh he you know i remembered the group because i remember thinking oh those guys hated me and this guy's telling me how much he loved me and i, I went to their house and did a private party for them as well did a dinner thing for them and it was really good but so you never know like what people are thinking because i think one of the things i was taught early on especially in restaurants when you walk up to someone and ask them i'm the resident magician do you want to perform if they say no you don't know what type of day they've had 
for what's going on mm. in their life. You know, it, it isn't a right to perform magic. Yes, it's the heart, this heartening being torn out. But, you know, at the end of the day, you don't know what's going on. They might have a fear of magic. They might have had a bad experience before. They might think they, they, don't, they don't know, you know. Yeah. You know, sure. As a younger magician, I guess that rejection would, would would be hard. But I mean, as a seasoned performer, being said, you know, being told no, you'd appreciate it because it's it's better than being halfway into your act and then hating it or not not engaging at all. Exactly. You know. Um. I mean, to be honest, what I found when I was working in restaurants is often I would go, I would perform to a group of people, they would love it, um, and then the people that said no would say, "Look, sorry to be a pain. Would you mind coming back?" You know. <laughs> And, I, you know, and, and at first I was always like, I, I turned around the market and went, yeah, I'm going to say no to those people because I'm busy. And, and he goes, well, that's just a, knob, a dickhead thing to say. <laughs> and that, now an older me would go, why the hell would I even think that? You know, I think when you get older, you realize that it isn't a right to perform. It's a, I think if lockdown teaches us anything, it's, it's a luxury to perform, yeah. really. If, yeah. if, if this teaches us anything... It's how lucky we are to to do the job we do, to have the experience we do. You know, I before this, I was traveling around the world. I was, you know, I, I was performing in places. I, you know, and then obviously the world's changed, and 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 you realize how lucky and fortunate you were. Maybe that's a, a, a optimistic way to look at it, or a weird way to look at it. But I realized how lucky I was. You know, and I'm, I know it will go back to that, but you know, it it's definitely taught me a lot this year. And I, I put a lot of I put a lot of effort into myself this year, into how I think about magic and performance as a whole, and what type of performer I want to be when I go back to performing. You know, I'm I know as a performer that I am not everyone's cup of tea. I'm on the edge, or some people think I'm um, <clears throat> don't know what I'm doing. But I really think about everything I say, all my jokes, all my movements. I, even if I knock something over, I plan that out in my head. Like, you know, so I put a lot of effort. So I, I, I know that my style isn't for everyone. But at the same time, I've always tried to be true to myself. Yeah. Being, being true to yourself makes you, you know, an artist. I mean, there's there's enough of, you know, generic magicians that will fill a gap for an event. But if they're looking for you and they want, you know, your style, well, then, you, you know, they can't get a duplicate you because it's you. And it's yeah. the same. That's a good position to be in. I mean, I'd always prefer them to want me than just a magician. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, th I think you know there is a there is a luxury with 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 that when when people like will go. I don't want anyone else. I want you. Like this this guy, he, he contacted me about doing a gig June, and I wrote to him and went, oh, I don't really know if it, if I would be able to do it with social distance." And he went, I, "He said I once saw you improv an entire set with a group of people." with a potato and i'm like i don't remember this he goes it was crazy he went if anyone can do a bad situation you'll be fine for it i'm like you are the same guy i went no i i am but i think sometimes we forget don't we like i my wife's like i've told i told her what i said she went get the grip you can do that mm -hmm. i think i think that's one of the things going to be the hardest is getting that confidence with with people i'm sure it'll come back but i think it's going to be i think it's going to be awkward for everyone isn't it it's going to be like yeah. Um, and then some people will probably not care and just be straight into it. And then my uh, time is gone. <laughs> I had <laughs> a ring the other day and I was like, oh my God, it's just not happening. So I'm like, I need to go back into boot camp before anything comes back. Uh, I was like, you need, uh, 
need like a like a like a fucking rocky montage like oh my friend showed me the best joke the other day um i mean <laughs> <laughs> i think we should we definitely make a rocky montage of like throwing cards and shit i should yeah. for sure like i don't know where the cards are gone what do they do with those cards ah um let me find i've got a pack of things oh, yeah. like uh ah. I haven't done any card stuff for ages. So, so he's like uh, the classic riffle shuffle. Ah, oh, yeah, I know talking about it. Uh, can you see this? And my favorite. Okay, let me go. Social distance shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> it was better when he did it. Yeah. Nice. nice. I, I haven't sold myself as a card magician at all. But <laughs> I, don't do, I don't do card magic anyway. <laughs> that obviously shows there, doesn't it? But I just love that joke of the social. But I don't know. Maybe that was funny at the moment when he showed me it. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, uh, one thing is that like because you perform slightly differently, that it's like a lot of your stuff comes across very creative. So when wh where does that sort of stuff come from? Like your ideas, like isolated and all those tricks. Where do where do you get your ideas? Uh, <clears throat> um, I don't. People ask me this all the time. Like I've got some like crazy thing. I think it just happened in the moment. Like, so Isolate is a weird story of how um, that was born. Because mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it, it, it kind of comes from a place of grief, but it also comes from a place of being angry at the world. That sounds mental, doesn't it? No one ever thinks about, oh, I created a trick because I was angry at the world. Um, I was in a really weird place in my career. I was suddenly like, um, like the host of Vanishing Ink World for some weird reason. I did, because... Let's start again at the start. So they, they they decided last minute they would like me to do the convention. I think someone pulled out. And they, they, they had a show, and someone pulled out that show. So I ended up going in the middle of that show. And I think no one really expected to – not that they didn't expect anything, because obviously I was you know lucky to be at the convention. But I think I was in the middle, because just in case I was terrible. Because no one had really seen me do a show before. And obviously I got this reputation for being a bit of a crazy person. Um, and so I, uh, Chad Long went – on first that's a hard act to follow um and i'd been writing this show all day i mean that shows you how bad i was <laughs> i didn't even have an act i literally was with my friend paul and we wrote an act in um in in the day and we basically spent 10 hours practicing and then max somerset came and watched through and criticized the jokes and we rewrote it and basically by the time i got to 10 o'clock at night i had this brand new act that i've been rehearsing for for 12 hours. I mean, that just shows you how professional I am right there. <laughs> um, and there is a point to the story. Anyway, I went on, Chad Long, um, and I went on, and when I went on, I got such a thunderous round of applause because I felt like everyone there kind of seen me grow as a performer. And, and so, like, and I, I think because I'd always been going to those conventions for such a long time, I was part of the crowd. So suddenly mm. I'm on the stage. So I was like the working man. <laughs> person on stage you know you got the uh, room clans after me josh jay's on there danny buckler and there's just me um you know from so that show went so well i mean that was my first standing ovation and it was just amazing um and and like you know i don't think i was expecting it i don't think any, I, I don't know it was just but after that i got treated a lot differently not in a bad way but suddenly you know i think when you when you i got a lot of i think I don't know. It, it was just different, but nice. Mm. So I started getting invited to places. So there is a point to the story. So I got invited to to uh, perform in America, and 
at the same time, unfortunately, we, we, we had a family loss and it kind of hit me quite hard. And at that point, I kind of gone even more crazy than normal. So during the convention, I was, I was happy, then I was sad, but I was walking around with no shoes on, <laughs> like a homeless person. And um, I, I, anyway, I was walking around the dealer hall, and this guy had this trick with a Rubik's Cube. And they, they had, uh, it was really terrible. It was like a rubber sponge thing, and it went in a jar, and it didn't even look like a Rubik's Cube, and it was awful. Um, and But I really liked the idea of it. And mm. I, I didn't have any money to buy it. So I managed to find Josh Jay and ask him for $60 while I was stood in pajamas with no shoes on. I said, I'll give you it back later. <laughs> he just kind of stares at me. So I go buy this yeah. trick. And, and while I'm there, I, I just had this idea. Like, it just came to me. Like, if they just made these changes and they added this. I like, and I sketched the entire thing out for them. And I said, this is, you could do this with a Cyrus Cube. You could give this away. This could be really big i'll just give you it and the guy just looked at me tore it up and told me to fuck off <laughs> and i turned around to this american guy that stood there and went but, but this could be amazing this this will work he went well you should build it i went i will build it and <laughs> after that show and on the plane i remembered the whole thing that happened and so i decided on the plane that i was going to build this thing so there i am trying to make this thing with a jar Mark's just Mark um just looking at me like people are looking at me like I'm like, no, he went, What are you doing? I went, I got this idea. He went, that will never work. He'll never say that now. He'll say I always <laughs> he went that'll never work. And then when I got home, I realized I had the prototype. So I I, I built it and I showed him it. And he's like, no one will buy that. And then it just became this big, massive thing, really. <laughs> so it came from this I was in this really weird mental space, like, you know, it, it as a, it, my career was going so well at the time but at the same time emotionally i was in a real dark place so i was having these kind of crazy weird i sound like a mental person i don't want to talk about this but <laughs> I, uh, artistically i was just in this place that i'd never really been in before and I, I, it's a very hard place to get like i had moments where i thought what if i put a card nice what if i seal it what if i do this but this was like a different space that i hadn't really entered before as a creator and i probably don't know if i would again and I, I you know it just it was just a real a weird a weird thing so yeah i don't think that helped anyone that just makes me sound like i'm a crazy person <laughs> so basically walk around conventions barefoot in your pajamas and you yeah. will come up with the next big magic trick that's their steps so no, i'm taking my shoes off the next time i see joshua straight away and i'm like here dude did you pay him back uh okay Mark did. Mark paid him back. <laughs> like, I don't think I ever paid anyone back. I think he just I kind of got it. Um, but yeah, I, I just think um, I, you never know. I, I, I think it's so hard to think about where things come from or ideas or, you know, I think the truth is if you're going to create something, you just got to kind of let it come. Um, problem is I'm, I'm, I am obsessive. Uh, I don't know if you've seen. That's my yo-yo collection. There's over 100 yo-yos there. Guess nice. how long I've been yo-yoing? Two weeks. Six months. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> and and I have lessons with the um the world champion. Cool. Andy. Yeah, I met, him on, I, met, I met him on the internet. <laughs> that sounds <tough. laughs> I did him a favor. <laughs> we became friends. So um I don't know why I'm bragging about that. That's just a weird brag, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, what happened? But is that like, something you're going to try to incorporate into your act after? Obviously, this is just starting. You just started during the pandemic, so is this something you're going to do afterwards now, or just a hobby? 
I, I had no idea. I, I don't know where it's going to take me. At the moment, I'm just that weird dad that yo-yos while his kid's playing in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was never good at yo-yoing, even as a kid. I was like twice and then it would just fall apart. <laughs> I, um, and, you know, I really enjoy the peace it gives me. Hmm. I know that sounds really weird, but like when I'm yo-yoing, everything's quiet. I don't really know if it's something I would want to put in a stage show or on a show. Uh, I think my wife said to me, it's the first time I've ever had a hobby. That she's known me yeah. yeah because like magic isn't really a hobby for me um it never really has and all, all the other stuff i do isn't really a hobby but she she said yo-yo was the first time she, and she said it's out of everything i do that's the one thing she like enjoys me doing because when i when i'm practicing magic or i'm working on a trick or a design i very much sit on my own and i work on it and i might show mm -hmm. her uh, but i'm not with her yeah. but when we're watching telly and hanging out and i'm yo-yoing I'm chatting and laughing and I'm doing the moves. She, it doesn't bother her the, the noise or me doing it. Um, but at the same time, it, she doesn't, she's not isolated. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, magic keeps her in isolation. Yeah. Keep it as a hobby because I mean, it is nice just to have that, you know, privately for you, who you really are and all that. Because like when you start incorporating something that was a hobby into something, you know, I, I play the guitar as well. But when you started like getting paid for playing and stuff, and it's not a hobby anymore, now it's a, a source of income. And, yeah, teaching or whatever. So yeah, no. If it, if it is a hobby, keep it as a hobby. I think so. I mean, I'll probably do it at magic conventions. Um, yeah, and, and I'll probably be about it. I'll be like, show off for a little bit for three seconds, and then uh, put it back out. You know. Um, and I really think nobody else there can do. <laughs> yeah, well, there's actually quite a lot of good yo-yoers in the magic world. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll, I won't even be a very good one, but I'll just be like, oh, till a really good one comes, oh, yeah, I do a bit of yeah, you're in. I'll be like, I go, he's better than you. I'm like, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, when I was telling Dave that I, that I was talking to you about coming on the podcast, Dave straight away remembered the, the trick with the with the cannon. And he was like, oh, yeah, definitely get him on. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Really. I remember you seeing you doing in the Barrett Lad at one of the last conventions. It's like so good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, so that's uh, my ver version of Dan Harlan's um, cartoon, and that 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 I love cartoons so much that I kind of bought a life. And that, what it was really nice is um, a lot of people uh, would think of Jay Sankey in a flash, but um, the reason it's called Stickman Bob is actually the original creator of that effect was called Bob Farmer. So David Ben Bob Farmer, and I think. Ian McAllister, maybe I'm not getting that right. He doesn't do magic anymore from what Bob told me. They came up with a trick where they take a 10p and it melts through the deck. Um, and they published that many, many years ago. And then obviously Jay Sankey added a flash paper to that concept and it became very famous. Um, so obviously when I published that effect, I wanted to get permission from the original creator because I didn't want to just bring it out. So the reason I call it Stickman Bob is it's actually named after Bob Farmer the inventor of that trick. So most people won't know why it's called Bob. <laughs> because think about Bob, because Bob Farmer was the original creator of that concept. And it was really nice what he said. He said it was the most magical version of that effect he'd ever seen. And he said, finally, effect with flash paper that made sense. Yeah. yeah. Which is high praise from him, because he's amazing. Now, um, I remember it was, a, it was a magic convention and everyone wants to see magic, but I remember the, the bar just going still. And everyone was watching this like it was a big theatrical illusion but it was a small you know it, it really <laughs> it, it was it, and i mean that's a, that's an achievement in itself to draw people in with a very small close-up effect oh uh, yeah i mean I, you know I'm, I'm i think yeah i guess like i you know i've i've been very lucky with that i guess because i'm doing something different maybe like you know 
Um, it, it's just, I don't know. I, I wasn't trying to do anything different. I just, that, that trick came from a weird dream I had. I just kind of dream about this cannon. So I got up at three in the morning and I found some flashbacks and I, I, I took a knife and I started cutting out the thing and I basically built it. And I remember sending Russ Stevens the original concept in my pajamas. Pajamas. <laughs> I knew it. You heard it here, guys. Get in your fucking pajamas. <laughs> yeah. No time. No geniuses don't have time to get dressed. Just stay in your pajamas. I'm not genius, really. <laughs> I mean, all I was doing was building on someone else's work, really, on that effect. But I just, you know, for me, it just made sense to, to fire a stick command out of a cannon into the thing. I mean, the original concept, I did it with a pen, um, and then. Steve Rowe added the Lego cannon concept because his son has a Lego cannon. So built from there, really, from other people doing that because he's a very creative guy. Um, so, you know, and it just came from, you know, the original effect was I shot it out from a Sharpie lid and then it, it evolved. And then, it, you know, when it just got more and built more better, really. The, the backs became better. Just, you know, a lot of people really love that concept and because they love that concept, they would help me develop it. Like I couldn't do the graphic design, so they would graphic design the back for me so I could have my own flashbacks and then develop a way to print. So really with someone like Stick Around Bobby, I kind of always feel like that was kind of, um, a lot of people loved the idea and because they loved it so much that it formed into what it did, you know? So while I created the effect, there was a lot of, um, a lot of people helped tidy it up to make it look more amazing. Like not presentation wise or, um, uh, the, the mechanics, but just in terms of how it looked, does that make sense? It made it look yeah. pretty. I'm a bit rough around the edges myself. How but do you know when you have something like that that's re that it's ready for release? That you're looking at something going like that. There's not one more tweak you could do that you have to just stop oh. and release. Every trick could have one more tweak. Tweak. I mean, if I had my time again, I would. I wouldn't release remaxed um, hmm. to another five years. It took me years to figure out how to use that trick. Or how to present it or the best thing for it i mean i think the problem is that sometimes you when you're in magic you have this idea you show people that's not necessarily the smartest idea and then suddenly you're having to defend your creation so you rush it to the market <laughs> uh, and the thing is if you ever want to tell the best person to tell the secret don't tell a magician because <laughs> magicians can't keep secrets i remember i showed my friend the 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 ice production i came up with and um I made him the gimmick and stuff. Next thing I know, he's sticking it on a magic forum, showing people. I go, this is genius. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just about to release it. Like, I'm like, no. You know, luckily, he took it down. He's a nice guy. He understood. But he don't, didn't think about it. Yeah. He's so excited to show people. So. Is there inspiration there from Max Molina? You mentioned him there a while ago and stuff. What was it? Was it was that kind of playing around in your head a little bit at the time? No, Max Molina was the whole reason that trick exists. I mean, yeah. that's why it's called To The Max, the original one. Like, yeah. literally, that man inspires me so much. I mean, the, the, I wanted to create that illusion in my show. So I, <clears throat> when I was first working on that, I would make a big block of ice, and I would carry these ice things, and I would try producing an ice from my hat like Max Malini. I would, I would try doing productions. And then how it kind of came about with the flash paper is I was a bit drunk one night, and I saw a lady with a tray of ice, and I just grabbed one off and I sleeved it. And I showed my friend, I went, watch this. And I took the flash paper, produced the ice and did that. And my whole hand spike. And they're all magicians and a few lay people there. Everyone went mental for it. 
And it was just an off the cuff moment. And I've been searching for a way to do a nice production for such a long time. Mm. That a drunken, stupid idea kind of just happened. Oh, um, what pajamas were you wearing at the time? I wasn't wearing pajamas. <laughs> but, um, you know, I. You know, this was at a time where I would I would carry like a, at that point in my life I was carrying like there was one point where I would carry seventy items on me like glue <laughs> shoes socks so if someone made a joke I could figure out a way of it I, I mean I do admire my younger self for doing that stuff now I feel like I've kind of sold out and become commercial but just these the craziest things and stuff of what I carry I remember one time I was in a bar. And um, this girl comes up to me because you're a magician. If your magic fixes this, and so her umbrella was broken, and I flash produced glue and started venting it, she's just like, <laughs> "I'm like, yeah, no problem." Like, I, like, and I'm thinking now I wouldn't carry glue around with me, but I, I would have all kinds of weird stuff in my pocket when I was younger. So, um, so I, I felt like I was definitely more experimental. I, I guess I, I wasn't worried about failure so much. Not that I'm worried about failure, but I, at the same time, I don't want to. You know, I don't obviously, I, you know, you can't always expect to win, but at the same time, I don't want to. I, I don't know when when you're younger, you just don't mind so much. Does yeah, that make sense? You know, yeah, it, it sounds like it, I, it, I, you know, I, I wasn't afraid to be experiment when I was younger. Perfect. It's a cool way of thinking, though, Kieran. I mean, you're, you're thinking like a real magician, you know, you're solving problems, and like real magic would solve problems because, like, we all know if we were real magicians, we wouldn't be making jumbo coins or omnidex because what the fuck are they? You know what I mean? You, you, you'd be doing magic. Well, I literally at that point, I was just trying to be Max Malini. Like, you know, <laughs> um, I wasn't really trying to be me. Uh, I, I, and I always think about that, you know, I was. I, I was trying to live into a shadow of someone I never met or saw before just because I <laughs> love the idea that this man could do anything. And he inspired me so much. But at the same time, I realize now that you can create those moments without being prepared. You can almost make them happen yourself. You can push almost like a narrative for these things mm. to happen. But that just takes experience to realize that if you say a certain thing, they'll say a certain answer, and then you can almost look like you're prepared. Um, I always find that my um, cousins who are a good bit younger than me, so we'd be uh, trying to figure out how to, they'd always see me do magic and then bring up like a soccer ball and be like, make this disappear. <laughs> like, ah, and then after a while, I just got a, other family members who I, if they saw that, they'd know I was about to do over the head and just be ready to go. <laughs> okay. And once you have that, you can, no matter what they want me to make disappear now, I'm good. Like, just vanish it, so. Nice when you have moments like that. I mean, yeah. there was one point where I would always make sure that I had ice on me no matter where I was. And I remember I lectured on that. And a, a well-known magician came up to me at four in the morning in Ruskin. They went, come in. Went, it, this guy reckons he can produce ice anytime he wants. I've just, uh, and he seen me lecture. He went, go on then, do it now. And I went, no problem. And I produced it and everyone went quiet. Because at that point, I would carry in my bag around the Ruskin five thermoses full of ice <laughs> and I would always have a block of ice in my pocket no matter what <laughs> like I literally was committed now I just couldn't be bothered <laughs> yeah yeah because I don't feel like I don't know if it was because I felt like I had something to prove or I was just trying to live this up to this ideal but now at the Ruskin I just don't I guess maybe at that time people you know people want to see me do something but now I can kind of just chill and people are happy to talk to me. There isn't any like prove yourself or you have this theory. I don't believe you. Like back then, like I talk about a theory and they're on a bit like, there's no way you do that. And so I'd had to live 
that kind of life. Does that make yeah. sense? It's why you've changed your look up now, so people don't recognise you as the. Yeah, yes, yeah, so no, me. It's like no, no hair. <laughs> it's like who's that guy? What happened? I remember I was at the, um, uh, the convention, the, the Vanishing Ink one, a session, and I walked in with no hair, and everyone was like, "What?" And they were more shocked because I had no hair. <laughs> I guess I guess it's because it'd been such a big part of me my whole career, and then I, I just woke up one morning and decided I didn't want hair anymore. So I just kind of I was losing it anyway. So combination of losing it and just accepting it but also realizing that you have to kind of change this has become like really i feel like i'm definitely turning into a hippie <laughs> <laughs> it's a new character you're gonna be like dude love <laughs> well, i just i guess maybe i just yeah. chilled out as i got older i stopped worrying about stuff so much um you know just just enjoying it uh, i think my friend said kids have been good for me because i become more relaxed maybe i don't <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's key to be kind of true to yourself. And if you were trying to be something before, maybe you weren't, and now you're more true to your character and, and who you are. There is no character. It's just here, and then that's, and well, that's it. I think I was me. I just a different version of me. I think as we... I don't think I was ever not me. I just think I was just... That was just who I was back then. You know, I had this crazy yeah. guy that would carry that stuff. It's not that I, I, I... I'm not... I still... When I when I go to, uh, <laughs> to my show, I still carry a backpack full of stuff. But I, you know, I don't really rely on it like I used to. I mean, there would be a point where I would literally turn up with a suitcase full of one-offs because I was obsessed with the one-off thing. I was like, I'm going to do a one-off. But, um, you know, I guess things just change as you get older. I, I, I think when you find your act and realize that you don't, you know, you can still be prepared, but you don't. I'm still doing the ice and stuff, but I'm just not. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's just a different thing. I mean, like there would have been a time where I would never have gone to the shop without a block of ice in my pocket. When I lived in Bristol, I was always prepared because if someone, because I would get stopped and everyone knew me, someone said, "Oh yeah, you can do this trick." I didn't want to ever be in a situation where I couldn't do that trick. And ninety-eight percent of the time, no one ever stopped me. So I was just constantly walking around with ice for no particular reason, <laughs> for the fear of not being able to do something. And then you suddenly realize that. I don't have to commit all the time. Yeah. Do you ever have a situation where people ask you for a trick that you don't do, but they might have combined a couple of tricks that you've done and exaggerated to the point of it's impossible now? <laughs> yeah, that, that has happened. I just smile. I go, oh, I, like, I what do you say? Yeah. You know, pe people misremember things, don't they? So. Yeah, I remember Wayne Houchin telling me because he does the needle out, uh, the needle out of the mouth, and then thread out the eye. And somebody asked him, can you do the trick where you pull the needle on the tread out of your eye? And he was like, I don't do that anymore. It, it hurts. So <laughs> that trick. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, people, um, they just forget, don't they? That's how it goes on the stuff. Um, I, I don't think I really had anything like like that happen to me. Um, or maybe I have. I just don't remember. Yeah, so, mentioned like like Max Malini though those things those like miss memories for for the audience whatever that's what makes legends you know those those impossible tricks happen because they don't really happen a variation of them happens and then someone's imagination runs rampant probably it's when they tell their friend I met this magician last night and he did this most incredible thing they're gonna yeah. elaborate more and more and more. I remember the first time I saw a magic trick that blew my mind, and not only could it blew my mind uh, as a magic trick but the thinking behind it blew my mind. I was in a bar, I was in Southport. I didn't really have much money at the time. <clears throat> I was living in a kind of hostel place and I, the door was broken. So I, I was always climbing through this window because I was the smallest person at the time. So all my trousers had to rip in the same place. 
And I would hang outside the magic convention because it happened to be in my hometown, trying to get autographs. And I'd be, I, you know, I'm not going to diss anyone, but the amount of time I was told to go away because I, I, I did look really homeless. I mean, to be fair, I don't blame them. But at the same time, I, I've had a few of them come up to me telling me how much my work meant to them, which is mind-blowing because I remember being a young kid with no money trying to get off an autograph. So how messed up is that, right? Yeah. Which yeah. just goes to prove the theory, you never know who you're talking to. Um, yeah. Not that I'm anyone, but, you know, I've, I performed on stage with these people. And I just, yeah, I guess I know they don't know. I never told them, but it's yeah. something I've always had in the back of my head. But I met a magician there called Rocco Solano. And he would go on to change my entire way of thinking about magic. Um, he, if you ever have seen him, he, he, he's a hit and miss. He's a Marmite magician, probably like me. When he's, when he's on, he's the best. When he's no, not, no. you know, when he's on, he's no. on. I, I, he definitely on China stage, he's just incredible. Um, anyway, he, he took a shine to me and he, he basically started teaching me uh, sleeving and other stuff. And he basically bought me a suit. He gave me like hundreds of pounds worth of magic. And I basically went around the convention with him. He introduced me to Ali Bongo. I shook hands with Ali Bongo. Like, nice. when I was, like you know, I didn't do any magic for him, but like, I didn't, it wasn't like, this is the homeless kid. Like, Rocco's like, yeah, this this is Kieran. And like, it was like, it was amazing. Um, anyway, we, we, this was before Dynamo was really famous. So this guy was going on about how he knew Dynamo to Rocco. <laughs> and Rocco just didn't care because he's like cool American Italian guy. Um, anyway, we're at the bar. He buys me a drink. And the next thing I, I see Rocco doing this, and the can starts to move across the table. And it moves, and it flips up in the air and lands in the bin. And this guy that's been going on about stuff just goes like this. And I'm like, oh, my God, how did you do that? And Rocco then said to me when we sat down, he went, if you look around hard enough, there's magic to be had everywhere. He said, go back to the bar and ask for the can. So I went back to the bar. I had the can. I was playing with it. I put it on the table, and I noticed it started to move. And basically what was happening is the bar was wet, and the air conditioning was moving it, and the barman had set it up as a little game to flip it into the thing. Rocco saw it move and just made the movement, so he was, like, creating the magic. But it was already happening, and he saw it just happen around him, so he reacted to take the moment, which yeah. was just an incredible, mind-blowing moment. Yeah. And here's where it gets really amazing. Eight years later, I'm in China, in Beijing, performing on stage alongside him uh, as his, uh, his act before he closed the show. And afterwards, we go back to his apartment. And we, I, I'm a, a couple of guys are doing full, uh, metal bending. And one of my friends says, Kieran, can you do your routine about... Because my routine's about my dad, actually. So I was doing this story about my dad and you're together, my nan and my family do all these voices. It's, so, it's such a silly routine. Um, anyway... As I'm bending the fork up, I, I use two forks. On the table, um, the fork starts moving. So I start doing this as I'm bending this, and everyone goes nuts. And they're going crazy. And do the rest of the routine, everyone's going, yeah, that, that bit where it's moved on its own in the, in the glass, and you controlled it, and you stopped it. That was just incredible. And Rocco came up to me. He went, tell me, how did you do that? And I just looked him in the eyes and went, Rocco, if you look around hard enough, there's magic moments to be had. Everywhere, and he just grabs me. He goes, "No, that was by accident." I went, "Yeah, I just saw, I saw it move, and I took the credit for the moment." 
Nice. Um, Very good. So, yeah, I, rem I remember him shaking me. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually figured out how to make that a feature in my show. So when I do the show, I now realize that if I have a table that's slightly rock, if I knock into the table as I'm bending it, I can then have the one moving in the thing. And, I, and now I have a real moment where it's bending here and it's moving and people gasp. It's one of the strongest moments in my show. And that oh. was a moment of magic that happened purely by mistake. Yeah. So, That's so good. Yeah, it's, well, it's true. You know, it's so true. I think, um, but yeah, it was like his eyes popped out. It was, you, you can't imagine how satisfying that was to do that to him. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Coming from a really good performance story to one that maybe isn't so good is the, we have a segment called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly where we ask someone to share a story of a performance that might have started off well but ended the exact opposite, as bad as the, your worst disastrous performance. Um, I think the, the, the worst disastrous experience... I, I got an audition to go up into London for like a big talent scout agent. Like Faye Preston was on the books, Magic Singh. And... Um, so I start off, it's going okay. I'm, I'm not wowing him, but I'm, I'm doing okay. I've done, I went to the in and out of the nose and they freaked out. So there's a few things gone wrong. Um, anyway, at the time I was carrying a big massive brick around with me. And this is how committed I was to this brick. And when I think about it now, I think how stupid was I? Like, so I built a brick holster that would carry a big brick, this like a house brick. And then would strap it to my back and I had a weight lifting thing and it would go around my body. And it was heavy. And even on the train, even on the train, two and a half hours to the gig, I had it on my back. I sat on the train with it on my back. I didn't think to take the brick out or put it in a bag. <laughs> when I think about this now, I'm like, what was I on? Why was I so committed that no one would know if I hadn't carried the brick for four hours? <laughs> so when I finally get to the gig, uh, to, to the audition, I produce the, the brick from my hat. And the brick drops through the table. <laughs> I didn't know what to do and I didn't get the job and I just kind of picked up the brick and signed it to him and kind of left <laughs> and I never did the brick again I'm just picturing like a hardware store being like this guy comes in every week and buys just one brick <laughs> is he like the slowest builder in the world it's because my friend Alan um, saw me perform at the bar and I was doing Chop Cup. I am the worst person at Chop Cup. Um, but what was really good about my Chop Cup routine is at the end, for my cowboy hat, I would produce a brick. I wore a cowboy hat back then, but this was before Trilby's. Um, and I would always get a phenomenal reaction from the brick production. Um, and so I wanted to have that phenomenal reaction in close-up. So I would walk around with a giant brick strapped to me. And it just <laughs> never worked outside the bar. Just... Yeah. I was committed to it, but it just never... In the bar, killer. Outside the bar, just didn't work. And then you realise you could have just been using... Could have been using a big fruit or <laughs> something else. Because <laughs> Mark, Mark got really mental, went mental at me. Because when they took the... Because um, it was covered in the foam. When they took it off, there was just dents from the brick. <laughs> from, from like two years of me just trashing this bar of dents, dents, dents. Oh, that's so, uh, uh, so stupid. I can't believe but what, what blows my mind now is the fact that I was on the train with a brick strapped to my back and I could have taken it out. The holster was designed that way, but I just didn't. <laughs> I was just like, why why didn't I do that? Like what what what, what was that what type of person was I? 
what to think that. Terrified somebody would see you set it up on the well, street. I think, <laughs> I think at that point, I was just so convinced that if I didn't commit like Max Molini, if I didn't commit like an old school magician, I wasn't really a magician. But yeah, like when it dropped through the table. Oh. <laughs> Foam <laughs> no. brick from now on. Foam all the way. Go go easy. <laughs> I didn't. They didn't make me pay for it. Like I, I offered. I couldn't really afford it at the time. But I remember they made me sign like something. Um, I, but yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't get the audition, <laughs> as you can imagine. So yeah, <laughs> they definitely remember you anyway. So that's good. Yeah, they probably do. I mean, I do think that out of um, all bad things happen that lead to good um like i i had a really bad experience with um before i had my first aggravation where from the same act i did the regurgitation act and it just it went down like a lead balloon it got booed off and it really is the only time i've ever been booed off stage in my entire life but it's because i didn't really know what i was doing with the act um and i wouldn't touch that act for six months till like i was asked to do it at this at the vanishing thing and then I, that's when i realized i needed to step up and rewrite it so i rewrote it with my friends and and now it's like taking me around the world it got me to the semi-finals of germany it got me to the final of italy you know and it's now a really polished act it's a weird act but it, 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 it just goes to show that if you stick with something even when it goes bad it can go well but uh, I definitely don't produce a brick anymore. <laughs> <laughs> definitely regurgitating a brick would be a step too far. <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I mean, I, I don't really particularly like the regurgitation stuff. I mean, I do like it and I don't like it. I like it because it gets me work. But I dislike it because it's not the one thing about me that's um, that I can do. But it, weirdly, it's the one thing I've always been able to do my entire life. No one taught me. I was born with it. I didn't study it's just something i could always do and i always find it really weird that there's this thing i can do that barely anyone else in the world can do yeah i didn't learn it i was born with it and i just <laughs> always wonder what does that mean does that mean anything i don't know yes how did you find out you could do it that's the, weird, the first question yeah that's, that's that's the question um just kind of figured it out like i was eating sweets um and then i get bored so I didn't make it come back up. I swallow it. <laughs> well, kind of stuff like that. We kind of just figured it out. And then um, my brother would make me show his friends. And then my brother would be like, can you try it with different colored ones? And like, bear in mind that we're like 10 and 8. So we've never even seen anyone do this. This is just things people do. Because, you know, every, independent creation, I guess. But it turns out that whole concept of bringing back different colored items or order dates back hundreds and hundreds of years i guess probably mm. the first thing anyone that realized they could do it was like can i do it in a different order so even an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old thought that <laughs> um so it became this little lack um and then i was in the pub um with some friends and everyone was saying do a party trick but not actually a magic trick so a couple of people were doing different weird stuff and i said oh i can do this thing with uh, with some nuts, let me show you. A, B, C, I wrote them down. What, what do you want, A, B, or C? And I just did it. And my mate Alan's like, why don't you do this in your magic? I went, oh, it's a bit weird. He goes, that's crazy. Like, do you know how rare it is? And I, at the time, I just thought it was just something. I went, what do you think? That's weird. Watch this. And I, and I projectiled. <laughs> it was a bit disgusting at the time. I didn't, <laughs> but I basically water spouted. He went, oh my God, you can water spout. And I'm like, 
you know so you know uh but i never really thought of it anything special and also it was hard to get work with but obviously once, once david popularized it suddenly i was in demand so i remember i was at the conventions doing it to people and everyone would go oh that guy's weird he does regurgitation and then suddenly david goes and does it and everyone forgot that i've been doing it for the last five years <laughs> i've been around a long time <laughs> i can do it too remember it remember <laughs> yeah well, like, you know, um, could I do this thing with smoke where I swallow smoke and bring it back? And he phoned me up asking me how to do it. So I'm showing him it and he's like, um, I, my, my son's just been born as well. So it was really surreal. I was, I was holding my son, David Blaine's Skyping me. So I give them to my wife and I'm like, oh my God, it's David Blaine. And my wife's a huge David Blaine fan. And it turned out, actually, we were in New York six months before. My friend wanted me to introduce us when we were there, but I couldn't do it because and we didn't realize that it was the opportunity to meet him. So I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so he he was like, I want to see Dragon's Breath. I'm like, okay. He went, swallow an ice cube and do it. I went, okay. He went, now eat a carrot and do it. And I'm like that. He went, now what a spell. I went, okay. Now bring back the carrot. And I'm like, now do Dragon's Breath. I'm like, okay. He goes, I'll be in touch soon. And he never, never called again. Just a random <laughs> thing. And my wife just stood there going, how does David Blaine know we have carrots? I went, what do you mean? He went, I never buy carrots. How did he know? <laughs> he heard about the brick. He heard about the brick. <laughs> I think we have we have the thumbnail right there. How does David Blaine know we have carrots? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remember it being really shocked. Like, how did he know? know? It's like it was like this, like she was just freaked out. Like, I'm a, I don't know, maybe just guessed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, just something I've been doing a, a long time, and weirdly took me around the world. It's, it, it's got me a few TV opportunities, but it's not really the one thing that defines me. But it, it seems to be that thing that kind of gets me in the right places. Yeah, yeah it can open doors to allow the other stuff to come out. It it does open doors, um, and, and you know, and I got to meet Stevie Star uh, a couple of years ago, which was just amazing. That guy is amazing. He's such a nice man as well. Yeah. It's crazy, and I and I think um, he was always really cool with me because he 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 liked what I did because um, he said you don't do it you haven't copied me you know yeah. so because um, because you could copy him easily you know you could add the banging and the screaming and all the things he does but I I always just try to be me with it um, mm -hmm. you know and but it's funny because how I wrote my act was I, I so I had my act. Um, <clears throat> I already kind of thingy because so when I when I regurgitate I don't regurgitate with my mouth closed I regurgitate with my mouth open which is a bit harder because it means that when I'm bringing it back up there's a flap it can fall down uh, and let's see if I can find it yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit harder quite deep down there um, <laughs> it's mad isn't it and so that was kind of the thing is I added I added that visual element so you saw it come up then I added the glove. So rather than making noises, I've got a man finger in my mouth, go, ah, sticking his fingers in my mouth. Doing so this sounds mental when I talk about it. But the my okay. highlight of my career so far with it was if I see if I can find the photo, it's on it's it, it's on Josh J. Josh J posts it on his Instagram every like year. And it's basically he's holding a pink umbrella, Andy Gladwin's holding a swimming pool, and I'm water spouting. Over the, over, uh, over Josh J's head, and Landon Gladwin's catching the water into the thing. <laughs> so good. That's There's brilliant. no one else in the world that can say they've literally 
regurgitate water over Josh J's head. <laughs> wow, the Gladwin caught it. <laughs> Most men can't even hit the toilet seat. Like, <laughs> I didn't really get. I didn't get it in the thing. It just went all over the thing. And you're not meant to. It's like it's funny. <laughs> Dave, you're not meant to hit the toilet seat. Just, just well, yeah, I meant to miss the toilet seat. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to find the photo. The photo is on his Instagram. He posts it. I, I know he really like. It's mental because his face is like. <laughs> so good. You got uh, this like good-looking American guy in America, like where he's like very famous, stood on stage while I regurgitate water over his head. <laughs> That's definitely. I recommend everyone checking out that image uh, on yeah. Instagram because I have to say that uh, we just crossed the hour. So yeah. I would thank Kieran for coming on. We really appreciate you coming on. And where can people find you online? Uh, I guess I'm on. I, I got my Instagram, which is Kieran the Mighty, and then uh, I do in TikTok, but. You know, I, I've joined the dark side of the internet. <laughs> definitely, you know, definitely. Doing weird stuff on there. So um, I do my bubble art on there as well. So I do a lot of like uh, bubble tricks and stuff. So if you're interested in some bubble tricks, go check them out. And I'm also doing a lot of weird stuff over regurgitating because tell you what, the internet just thinks it's reversed. <laughs> I will purposely do it as a voiceover and I purposely always stick a clock in the background and my clock's broken, so it sketches. So I was like, I figured it out. It's reverse. It's a special clock. <laughs> the truth is, right, I, so my new one today was, one of my thing, favorite things to do is to put a, slight, a shot of water in my mouth, a piece of orange juice, and then I can turn it into orange juice. And then I spit out the orange juice. And basically, I'm just regurgitating every video. But I'm like, add a polo. Uh, add, add t- uh, if I take a blue smarty and a yellow smarty, I get green liquid, <laughs> and the internet's like, "This is fake. It's edited," and it's just me spewing up, or spouting into a bucket every day, like doing the same thing, but with different items. If you, know, if you had any advice uh, for anyone that that is a magician but wants to kind of incorporate their kind of more, if they have like freaky skills like like you had, and they're like a kid starting off, and they're like, "I don't know, is it magic? I don't know, is it just weird stuff I do?" What would you say to them? Just do it. I mean, what's the worst thing that happens, right? So you go to a table and you have the worst experience and it fails. Ultimately, you can walk away from that and you can just get on and do it again. I mean, the whole point of being a successful magician is to fail. Anyone that says that they have a perfect show, that they're awesome, that everything they do is lying. The only way to succeed or be a really good performer is to fail a million times because mm-hmm. as you, you, it, basically if you imagine like you have to wade through a lot of shit to get to the good stuff and th- like you know that's why you put your ten thousand hours because if when you first start you're not very good and then you build up and build up you know i'm never going to be the world's best card magician i don't do card magic i mean that's inevitable at the start i can do a few things <laughs> but i know what my strengths are and i mm-hmm. focus on those strengths and then I, I, I work on that and I wade through it and I put the effort in. So I think the truth is, is one, don't give up. And two, you know, just keep going even when it's bad and it, it eventually gets good, hopefully. And if it doesn't get good, then blame me. Years and years ago, by, by an elderly magician, he said, like, you have to have a bad night to know what a good night is. And I think that's a crucial thing Absolutely. to know. And, and I think you can get spoiled as well because, right, Youth is a bit of a curse, uh, in a sense. I mean, look, we all wish we were young. I wish I was young. If I was young now with my talent, I was think, oh, wow. But when you're young and you do magic, one of the things people go, if you're 18 and you do a couple of tricks, people go, you're good. And I know when I was younger, it would be good. But really, I wasn't good. I was just young. So they just figured, oh, you're good for your youth. And then when you become older, suddenly you re- realize you have to, you know. So 
I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I think just, yeah, just take it all as a pat on the back because one of the things I was always taught is if someone says you're amazing, don't put it up here in your ego. Just stick it in your back pocket. And when you're having that shit night where it's not going well, you can go, well, it was good last week. You know, yeah. don't don't let it get to your head because we have good or bad nights. I mean, you might have just every good night. Who knows? But ultimately, we all have a bad run-in or something doesn't work. Or even when we, even when I've done my tired and tested material and it's just all falling apart and I don't understand, sometimes it just isn't meant to be your night. Sometimes a brick goes through a table. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> a brick goes through a table. But I tell you what, if I had my time again, I would do that because that story is worth way more than actually getting the gig. And they were never going to hire me anyway. I looked like a homeless person. <laughs> All, back then, like, I was just like, I had this long hair. I, did, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, that, I wasn't going to work for a corporate company. How I even got that audition, I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> I really just want to make me a to see someone's reaction now. Just like, oh, yeah. just, I always <laughs> wonder, like, did they keep it? What happened to the brick? Where's that brick now? <laughs> We need well, to find the I think it was the fact that my reaction was just to pick it up and sign it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I couldn't imagine like having the balls to do that. I think when you're not, yeah, I think when you're younger, you just have way more confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be embarrassed now. I'd be like, oh god, <laughs> definitely too funny. Well, we, we, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, if, if anybody wants to pick up anything magic in Ireland, you can go to cvreality.com. We've got some Murphy's Magic products there, so definitely go check that out. And we'll be back again in two weeks. So we thank you all. Enjoy, and we'll see you then. Thanks again, Kieran. And Thanks for having me.